listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. Good morning. Are you well today? Hey, you know what? Congratulations getting out of the house five below zero this morning and driving your little cold self to church and worshiping the Lord. Uh, Daniel and team, thank you for that this morning. That was very special. Let's just honor them. I think it's just a beautiful thing when we can have those moments where we're all kind of get it at the same time that God is great and greatly to be praised. Let's uh, take a minute to pray. I believe that as we open God's word, God will open our hearts and our lives. A coalition of the willing. How many people are willing for God to open your heart? Just say, Lord, just do a new work in me. You, you ready? You good? In the corner over there? Beautiful. Father, we thank you for just a special time this morning. That through the foolishness of preaching, we might experience salvation. Thank you, God, that we're all on this journey of learning what it means to trust you. To walk by faith, not by sight. Thank you that, God, you, you join us in this journey. And you are trustworthy. You are worthy, God, of our confidence and our trust. You are worthy, Lord, of our obedience, of our just continued willing response to whatever you say in your word and through your spirit. Now I pray for us today that, God, we would be those people who are willing like so many people of old, in the Bible and not in the Bible, who said, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, God, have your way in me. God, I pray that today, Lord, we would have a revival of that in our own hearts. Whether we're young or old, whether we're new to faith, not yet in faith, or old in faith, God, that our hearts would be young and fresh again to say yes to you. Lord, we pray for a powerful visitation of your power and your spirit and your presence. God, that you would break the chains that bind us, that you would untangle us from the sin that ensnares us, and that, God, today we would be free, liberated children of God, filled with the joy and delight that comes from you. Bless us as we go through your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Together we said, amen. I want to talk today about a continued series about age to age. God is the same. That Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That Jesus isn't changing. He's not going anywhere. And he continues to be faithful in his love and faithful in his kindness towards those who come to him. And that even this morning, every day, we have this occasion where we can come to God, where we approach God with our hearts and with our attitude, with our minds, with our mindset, and we say yes to the Lord. But he's always the same, age to age the same. And last week, we started by talking about the voice of God, that God speaks. He spoke creation into being. Creation itself pours forth speech of the glory and the greatness of God, that he speaks to us in his word. He has spoken to us most profoundly in his son, Jesus Christ, who reveals us to us what God is like, and he continues to speak to us. The risen Christ, seated at the right hand of God, 
having poured out his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit continues to speak the voice of God to our lives. Age to age, God has never once given you the silent treatment. He speaks. Today I want to talk about the way God deals with us. And so the title of this message is Age to Age the Same, Faith and the Faithful Life. What does it mean to walk in faith? What does it mean to live the faithful life to God? And sometimes we think the Old Testament is like, well, God dealt with people in a certain way back then, but he treats us differently. Then, back then, everyone had to do stuff to somehow please God or get it right. Right now, we don't have to do nothing. We just got to believe and just kind of live our life however we want to. Maybe that's an exaggeration. But those seeds, that false dichotomy that somehow God is different now than he was thousands of years ago, are completely debunked when you read his word. As we start to talk about faith, I want to just start with an illustration You know that phrase, I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole? (laughs) This is a 10-foot pole. I I put it here because I want to just briefly reminisce. Um, If I were free to lie, I could brag, but there will be no bragging in this illustration. When I was in college, I went to college, and I was kind of up for anything. I, I had never been on a swimming or diving team, but I made friends with people that were on the diving team. These were people that had trained and been coached and knew how to dive, springboard diving, one meter and the 10 meter. And so they somehow talked me into joining the diving team. So I was an unexperienced walk-on collegiate diver. Thank you very much. I made the team by virtue of the fact that the team needed people desperately. And that's how desperate they were. They took me. My coach clearly told me that there are two types of divers in this world. There are divers and there are launchers. A diver jumps off the board and knows exactly what he's doing, he or she. A launcher jumps off the board and kind of figures it out while they're up in the air. (laughs) Exhibit B. I packed the house when it came to our collegiate diving meets, because people just wanted to see what was going to happen next. (laughs) I I have set the all-time record of crash and burn in collegiate competition diving. However, it did not deter me. Anyways, that's another matter. If you want to hear some of those stories, ask my brothers. They love to tell them. But one of the things I learned in my accelerated training of springboard diving off the three-meter board, which is that high. Ten feet, which is, I did the math, about three meters. And the board is very bouncy, it's springing, and you would, you walk up, you do your approach, and you launch. Well, when the coach is trying to get me to do things from there, he says, you need to do something as part of your training. He says, the three-meter board is strategically placed So that if you stand up there on the end of that board, three meters in the air, and you simply fall backwards blindly, you will, says the laws of physics, fall perfectly straight into the water. How many people have ever done that before? 
Well done. I'm not going to lie. The first time I did it, I can't repeat the word I said on my way down. And it wasn't, oh, good golly. It wasn't that. It was one of those words that come from deep inside that you can't stop. The whole pool took a moment and looked over to see if everyone was okay. But it has become for me this very real memory and illustration from what it means to trust. Because trust, right, by very definition, so says the Webster Dictionary, it's a firm belief in the reliability, truth, and ability, or the strength of something or someone. And so when I was standing up there three meters from the water, I had to make a decision. Do I trust my coach, my teammates, and the fact that if they said, if I simply fall back, straight back, I will land, and the key is you can't move. If you try to catch yourself, you, you smush. That's what that's. And, and so do I trust that this will happen? Well, I did it, and I, I learned that it did work, and it's still a lot of fun. You should try it. As a matter of fact, I graduated up to the three-man fall, which is where you stand on the edge of the board. A teammate gets on his hands and sticks his feet up here, and then another person comes in sandwiches, and you all lock and fall. That's very exciting. So if I have two volunteers next time we're at a pool, you're ready for that, aren't you? Life changes, baby. That'll change your life. Never the same. The life of faith is this and that and more radical trust that God is who he says he is and can do the things he says he will do. And so faith isn't just this singular, like, okay, I trust God to forgive my sin. But the life of faith means that I'm going to live with a level of confidence that God is in control and that he will never leave or forsake me. That the things I do, trusting that God has gone before me, will determine the outcome, not the circumstances or the things I see that surround it. Let me read a scripture, and it's the, 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 there's a couple key phrases that occur in the Old Testament and New Testament that I want us to see today. Romans 1, 16 and 17, it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, right? Who's ashamed of the gospel? Anybody? Sometimes it makes us nervous to talk about it. But, but I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And here's the phrase. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. That is a line where Paul is quoting Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. And it says, from first to last... And I want to just give it in two different pieces. From first to last, in the initial context of what he's talking about is both the Jew and the Gentile, everybody. That every single person, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, you're rich, you're poor, you're black, white, Hispanic, or you come from Mars, it doesn't matter. Everybody 
can only come to God by trusting in him through faith. From first to last, doesn't matter who you are. And I say that in church because we know that, but it addresses some of these root issues where we say, well, I've always been in church. My parents were in church. I do the church life. I'm good with God. But first to last and everything in between is like, no, that is not the case. Do you trust him? Are you walking in a living confidence that God has got you and he's moving you according to his plan? I think every time I think those thoughts or say those words, I have to recalibrate and rethink my own life, my own Christian walk. Am I actively trusting the Lord? Many of us get into these routines. Maybe we start off and you have this experience as a young person like, oh my gosh, God, yes. I say yes. And you're, you're so just stirred and, and, and excited in your heart that God is real and your sins are forgiven and you're a child of God and you're ready to go and do anything. And those are moments, often moments, where God speaks into your heart things a part of your destiny in him. Maybe you felt like, man, I want to, I want to be in missions. I feel like I, I want God's going to use me in that way. Or God's going to use me to, to serve the church. Or, or I want to be someone who shares my story about what God has done with others. And we find these moments of clarity where we believe that God could use us. That our lives could make a difference. And those are precious moments. Write those moments down. Do yourself a little selfie video log and say, this is what God spoke to me today. And I, I just see it with such clarity now and I don't want to forget it. So I'm writing, I'm giving myself a little video reminder. Do something because those are precious, precious moments. Because what happens in life is routine starts to go and you take on more responsibility and the bills pile up and you get bored with life and bored with church and suddenly your life is simply this weird autopilot where nothing is actually done in faith, almost everything is done because of routine. And it's a dangerous, dangerous, wicked, devilish hole to find yourself in when everything is simply routine and nothing, when you wake up in the morning and say, I believe God is doing this today. I believe God's doing a new work in me. He's teaching me how to forgive. The Lord's showing me how to turn the other cheek and he's... I'm going to get hit a couple times, and I believe that it's God's in it, and I'm going to learn to function at a whole other level of grace. Or I'm going to learn how to trust God in my finances. When I look ahead, I don't know how we're going to make it, but I see God's been faithful, and I am actively believing, I am confident in God that he will meet us at every need. These are the expressions of everyday faith. And so it's every single person, but it's also every single minute. Every single thing of your life were to live by faith. How many people now can think of something where you know, say, you know what? I've been going through the motions or I've been having a natural fretting response to life and I need to find myself in a position, a new position of faith in that situation. Write that down. Put a note in your phone. Say, wait a second. I need to change the way I'm living when it comes to faith. I remember the story of Caleb. You guys remember the story of Caleb? Joshua's kind of buddy. God sent 12 spies to spy out the promised land, and Caleb and Joshua were two of them. Ten people came back and said, there's no way. They're just, they're monsters. They're too big, they're too strong, there's too many of them. They said, and I'm quoting, 
we look like grasshoppers in their eyes, and even in our own eyes, we look like grasshoppers compared to them. They had this grasshopper mentality, but not Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb was like, yeah, they're big, they're strong. Sure, the land is amazing, but we can do it because God has said it, and we can go forward. And so the ten outnumbered the two, and the whole generation became afraid, and they never went into the promised land. That whole generation died in the desert. And then after all those were dead, only two people from that whole millions, couple million people generation got to go into the promised land. It was Caleb and, Jay, and Joshua. Caleb was 40 when that happened. By the time he got into the promised land, he was 85. And Joshua goes to Caleb. Caleb must have been older than Joshua, or maybe Joshua was just giving him a hard time. And, and Joshua goes up to Caleb, and he says, Hey, Caleb, there's some bad guys on the hill, and it's, it's kind of a steep hill. You think you're too old? Should I send someone else up there for you, Caleb? And Caleb has this unbelievable response. He says this. It's in Joshua 14. He says, So here I am today, Caleb says, 85 years old, and I am still as strong today as the day that Moses first sent us out. I am just as vigorous to go out into battle now as I was then. Come on, Caleb. Get your walker going up the hill, man. Whatever the condition of his body was, his heart and his confidence in God was still intact. And that he was living, actively functioning as a man of faith that whatever circumstance would come his way, in his mind, he might say, well, that's a steep hill. Those are some bad dudes up there. But in his mind and in his heart, there was solidarity. He says, you know what? God will give me that hill. Where's my sword? Some of us need to pull a Caleb. Find fresh faith for these moments. Even though you might have been very disappointed 45 years ago. All your friends let you down and God didn't seem to come through when you thought he would. Knock it off. Move on. Pick up your sword. Let's start believing God for some new victories. I want to make three more points, very simple points, about faith. From first to last, I want to say these things. First of all, faith is risky, both risky and rewarding. If you are going to live a life of faith, from first to last, from the moment you first believed in Christ until the day you give up breath and you recognize that, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. That your death will be the greatest victory of your life. From first to last, you're going to have to realize a couple things. Number one, a life of faith is risky and rewarding. Now maybe you're sitting there, you're thinking, wait a second. I am very risk-averse. Obviously, I say that rhetorically. I'm not. I'm the guy that climbed the board and fell off. Some people love risk. They just, let's just go for it. Just jump as high as you can and figure it out once you get up there. By the way, there's no more terrifying feeling that once you get up there, you have no idea what you're doing. You're just counting down till impact. But for others, maybe you've been hurt. Maybe it's your personality. You might be risk averse. 
But hear me on this. Whatever your tolerance is for risk, God calls you to trust him. Just because you're reckless doesn't even mean you're trusting him. It might just mean that you love, you're some sort of weird thrill monster. But those people and the people that, they, we have to learn to trust. And let me, let me illustrate this from a story, a famous story of Abraham, who was the man of faith. The original man of faith was Abraham. Genesis 12, 1 through 4, it says this. This is God speaking to Abram. His name's not Abraham yet, it's just Abram. For the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. This is before MapQuest, right, and Waze and all those kind of things, right? Nowadays, I get in my car, I'm about a mile down the road, I say, where are we going? I just got to punch it in, it'll show me. This is long before that. How many people remember that before that when you actually got a map out and you kind of mapped it out, and right? You kind of got the, oh, okay, we'll do this and this, and we'll actually write this to this to this to this. Sam's father is the best directions giver ever. He is like the map master. What do you call Is a cartographer? Is that what you call a guy that makes maps? He's like the ultimate cartographer. He interprets. He's the map. Inter- he's the best. But Abraham had neither a smartphone nor a set of maps. God simply said to him, leave your home, leave your family and your people, your father's house, and just kind of head out, and I will show you along the way. Really? How many people would have gone? And we're not just talking about, you know, a day trip. We're talking about the rest of his life. The rest of his life. Man, that is risky. And go to the land I will show you. Verse 2. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse you those who curse you. He's like getting real thorough. He's describing exactly how he's going to bless them. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. Folks, that's one of the profound statements of the very first promise given to Abraham that was talking about Christ and our call to preach the gospel into all the nations. God's heart and purposes from the very beginning, age to age the same, was that all the nations would know him. And come to him. And he's sending Abraham out so that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Verse 4. Some three greatest words in scripture. So Abraham went. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Pretty outstanding. Here God sends him on this very risky He's gonna, he could sacrifice everything. He's taken all of his possessions, all of his people, and he brings this lot with him, and he, he sets off with a small caravan. What confidence did Abraham have that things would work out okay? All he had was God's word to him. I will go with you. I will bless you. I will protect you. And Abraham, that through you, This simple act of faith, trusting God that he knows what he's doing. I am going to bless 
the nations. Do you believe that through your obedience to God's risky call in your life, that you could reshape the whole face of the world? I don't know what Abraham believed when he heard those words. But maybe it's just enough to think, you know, that if I actually trust God, if I actually obey him, if I actually step out in confidence that God will meet me there, not only will I be blessed, but someone else is going to get blessed too. Or we could just keep on living the same old comfortable, predictable things. Or we could just simply say, you know what, I just don't know enough of the answers to the questions, and so I'm not going to risk it. We're not talking about just going out on a whim on things. We're saying when God sends you, when God speaks to you, when God's word instructs you, do you have that confidence that God will meet you as you step out? You see in this story of Abraham, it was risky. I mean, you could read the story of Abraham. You should see the things that he had to encounter. He himself wasn't ready. He had to grow and change. He encountered people, dangerous people, and he found himself scheming and compromising and, you know, pretending his wife was his sister and sending her off to this harem. I mean, he had some really, really crazy things happening to him. Did that mean that God wasn't with him? No. It means he had to learn to trust him all the more. The life of faith is risky and rewarding. Hebrews 11 recounts what happened to Abraham. Verse 9, it says this, By faith, Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For God, excuse me, for Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. Abraham, by faith, left the comforts of home because he believed God had something more. God wanted to build a city. He's the architect, and he's the builder. Now, Abraham didn't even realize all of it. It was generations later when the the fruit of that, and the people of Israel came into the promised land. Reference, Caleb and Jacob. Or Joshua. But Abraham was the initiator of faith in that. He's the one that stepped out when God called him. You know what? So much of what we do, we will never be able to judge our own fruitfulness in our own lifetime. Therefore, and I'm quoting a theologian, we're saved by hope. We obey God. We live by faith. We step out in faith. And we say, Lord, we know that either in my time or in the generations to come, you will use my obedience and my faithful life to bring the kingdom in force. You may never see it. Abraham never saw it. He saw it by faith from afar that God was going to build a city. He was the father. He was the first father. From all of that, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons at Father Abraham. I am one of them. So let's just praise the Lord. 
You want to rock that song for a little while? We bring the team back up. We get our arms and limbs moving. Some of you are stiffening up. Faith in the faithful life means that we have such confidence in God that we know that whether we see it or whether generations will see it after us, that God is faithful to do what he calls, what he says. Let me give you another thing. Faith is costly. The first one is faith is risky and rewarding. This one is faith is costly and rewarding. Those who want to put their trust and follow God, whether it was Abraham in the Old Testament, whether it was the disciples and those early Christians in the New Testament, or whether it's us today, will find that the life of faith, of trusting God, of living in confidence that God is at work in us and through us, they'll find it very costly. Jesus actually says you should count the cost. Because what kind of idiot builds a tower, gets halfway done, and doesn't realize he didn't have enough money to finish it? So the life of faith is costly. I'm going to read to you from Hebrews chapter 10, 34. It says this. The writer of Hebrews is reminding God's people of what they had done and who they are because they're being challenged and and the fear is that they're going to lose their faith. They're going to lose their confidence and trust in God. It says this, 34. You suffered along with those in prison and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. What was happening here is early persecution of the Christian church, people were being thrown in prison. And these, their, their friends and their brothers and sisters had to make a decision. Are we going to align ourselves with them, care for them, bring them food, advocate for them? Or are we going to separate ourselves from them? Well, they says, no, we believe that this is right in God and we cannot forsake our brothers and sisters who have been thrown in prison. So they aligned themselves and as the consequence, they lost their possessions. The government found it was okay, we're going to, we're going to persecute them as well. People persecuted them. It was costly. It's like going to visit someone in jail, and then you come out, and your car has been towed. It's taken away. There's no way you can get it back. Wow, was that visit really worth my car? I don't know. Faith is costly. Has it cost you anything? Some people, you know, they, they seek the Lord and they believe God wants them to go a certain way, even vocationally. And in the back of their head, like, you know what? I could have been whatever. I could have been the President of the United States. But instead I chose this humble job. I love how, I forget who it was who said it. It says, if God calls you to be a minister of his gospel... Don't stoop to be a king. Some of you could have been something and made lots of money or had a great reputation, but instead you chose to serve the Lord in a certain way because that's what God called you to. 
I think being a teacher is a special role. How do you be a teacher day in and day out? The only reason you do it is not to get rich and it's not for the glory. It's because you feel you can make a difference in a young person's life, right? Why would someone be a house parent at Glenwood Academy? Why would you do that? You guys are capable of a lot, and yet there you are serving the kids. We make decisions in faith because we're confident that God has a purpose and a plan for the way we spend our life. It's not about let me just find a way to get as much money and as much stuff as I can. But there's costs to those. And anyone who looks at their life and says, I believe God chose this for me and so I followed it. And you look at some of the other things. You stand in that position. At least I do. I went to college with a bunch of overachievers. And they're all like doing these, they're making a lot of money. They're doing these things, and they're going on these vacations, and they're all, right? And I'm like, well, I, I could have just followed the road they went. Well, that was to God, maybe what God had for them, whatever. But I sit in my life, and I look and say, you know what? Thank you for this, Lord. I'm not jealous of that. I'm not envious of that. I could have had more stuff or more money. Maybe, maybe I would have been in the, you know, homeless person somewhere. I don't know. Thank you for giving me a job living more church. But the point is, I don't want that, not because it's better or worse, because that's not what God chose for me. I want what God has for me. And that is the greatest and most lasting possession I could ever have. The life of faith is costly. Let me be more specific than that. Let me give you a couple of thermometers. I'll just wrap it up with these. I've got a couple. By faith, we worship the King of Kings. By faith, you gather in this room, or you live your lives, or you have your devotions, or you, you sing at the top of your lungs while you're driving along to worship music, or whatever expression of worship and adoration you have. We do that by faith, confident that God hears us, that he's delighted by it, and that he joins us in it. Do you know that? That when you bring your worship, he inhabits, inhabits, inhabits. I'm working on my speech impediment. Um, he inhabits the praises of his people. That when we worship, he joins in. Come on. We do that. We worship by faith that it matters. This isn't some sort of cathartic therapy like, oh, it just feels good to sing a little bit. I feel better already. No. We worship because he's worthy. And that as we worship, he visits us. His presence comes and we fellowship. We commune with him. And he heals our bodies and he restores our minds. And he he comes and he does a new work in our faith. That's what happens when we worship. And it's costly. It should be costly. You should go home from church exhausted because you laid it all out. That's why half-hearted worship is such an oxymoron. How can we do that? It's like being in the presence of the most beautiful woman in the world and not paying her any attention. Thanks. That was, that was just a blatant attempt to endear myself. King David had this moment in his life when he had sinned. And he was seeking the Lord. He was trying to get back to God. And I won't go into the whole story. 
But he reaches this moment where he has a breakthrough in the Lord, and he wants to worship God. And so he's traveling, and back in the day, he said, I need a couple animals to sacrifice and burn, and I need some wood to build an altar. And he's traveling, King David and his mighty men, all the big shots and their swords, and he comes by this guy's house, this farm, and he knocks on the guy's door, hey, I need a couple animals and some wood. And the guy's like, holy crud, the king is at the door. Martha, sweep the floor. We've got company. And so this guy's so overwhelmed that the king is at the door with his, you know, his army. And, and he's like, take what you want. There, take an animal, take some wood, the threshing floor, do whatever you need. Do your thing, king. And David has this really amazing response. He says to the guy, I will not take your animal or your wood. For I will not sacrifice, I will not worship the Lord with that which costs me nothing. He knew that worship to the Lord is costly. I made a reference about going home exhausted. It doesn't have to be physically costly. But when your soul is just open before the Lord and you're saying, God, here I am. You can see my sin. You can see my bad attitudes. You can see my rotten desires. You can see me. And yet, Lord, I am ashamed. And yet, I know I can come. I know I can step forward. I know I can present myself before you because I trust that you're gracious and you're kind and you're loving and the cross has bought my forgiveness and the blood of Jesus will wash me clean and Lord here I am just as I am I come and Lord here I that is a costly moment have you ever been there have you ever come to that moment And suddenly you're there, and the Lord says, yes, my child, I do forgive you. I wash you, and I want to come, and I want to be my presence and join you in your worship. And I want to transform your evil, wicked desires. And I want to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And I want to come, and I want to command it all. And now you're like, oh, wait a second, that's more. I was just trying to get forgiven. But now the Lord's asking me for everything. You cannot sacrifice and offer worship to the Lord that which costs you nothing. For to stand before him in his holy, beautiful, and righteous, and loving presence is to be undone. We sang a song with that lyric, undone, in it today. And we sing that, and I I ask myself, am I undone? Sometimes I have to kind of beat my chest when I'm worshiping. Like, seriously, heart, are you open? Heart, are you undone? Are you open to him now? Because my mind's running places. I'm still writing the sermon while I'm worshiping, you know, those kind of things. I say, no, you better be undone. And I wonder how many people in the room as we sing this song are actually undone. Is that just kind of a flippant little phrase? Or is worship costing us something right now? Listen, faith is costly. But it's very rewarding. Let me give you another example. Our finances. 
Malachi 3.10, it says this, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there might be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I do not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. There are people that thought, that have taught and believed that tithing is, you know, an Old Testament principle that's brought into the New Testament. Jesus talks a lot about our money. The tithe or the tenth was put before the nation of Israel as a way to, to keep God first in everything, including their finances. And it was to provide for the Levites, and it was to provide for the house of the Lord, and it was, it was to be this, this way in which God's people together walked by faith, that everything they had, their money, their, their crops and their animals, all that, they, all that they had to benefit themselves. They say, everything I have to benefit myself, I put the Lord first in that. And the law said, you give a tenth. People have been under the, the condemnation of that, and people have been under the, the legalism of that, and I don't think that's what God is calling us to live under condemnation or legalism. But it's crystal clear in the scriptures that the life of faith is costly and we take our money and we first put it at the feet of the Lord. And there are churches and preachers that abuse money and use it flippantly and whatever else. There's plenty of shams out there. But those are not reasons not to obey God's word. Jesus said, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust and thieves take it away. Where your treasure is, there also your heart will be. The practice of financial giving to the Lord is designed to keep him first in your life and so that you would live a life of faith, believing that as you put God first, even in your finances, that you're trusting him that every bill will get paid. Not only that, that you'll have enough, more than enough that what you'll need so that you can be generous towards others. That's God's will for your life. Not that you, you store up as much as you can to make sure all your stuff is taken care of and then give God a little bit as kind of a tip. Thank you, God. Here, park the car. That we say, no, Lord, you are first in the little that I have. And I know that all these other giant responsibilities, God, I trust you there. Here we are worrying about tomorrow. And we can't find enough faith for today. We don't live... Sam and I are home. We don't live under the law of the tenth. We live under the joy of it, the delight. Some of you just got your giving letters. Did you like the letter I wrote? I worked hard on that. Michelle said, yeah, bullet points are good. People don't read the whole letter. Just do break it up. So I broke it up. Did you read the whole? How many people read the whole letter? Oh, bless you. We get the statement. And I always have two competing thoughts in my mind. 
The first one is, oh, what I could have bought with all that money. <laughs> like we're big spenders. My second, and it's a greater thought, thank you, Lord. You're first in our money. You're first in our finance. And I want to live a life of faith that is costly. And I want to know the rich, powerful reward of God and being sustained by him and having enough to be generous. Work that out in your life. Work it out in this church. If there are barriers to your giving, talk about them. Remove them. And find the joy, the costly joy of giving. The last one is this. Thermometers of faith. Oh, my bonus time. That was the last one. How many people are excited? You thought you had 10 more minutes of me pretending to close. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today. (laughs) You're laughing a little too much, Matthew. I, I, for a moment, I thought, I just got to make one more up. I just, I promised it. I cannot deliver. <laughs> oh. Abraham, way back in Genesis 15, it was said, he believed God, even for the impossible, and it was credit to him as righteousness. Back in the day, in the earliest of days, his relationship with God was defined by faith trusting, confidence in God. And he walked it out. He lived a life of faith. In the days of Jesus, he was calling people to faith. And today, as we hear God's word proclaimed to us, we are challenged with faith and the faithful life. It's risky, it's costly, but it is greatly rewarded. Amen? Stand with me, let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for a chance to fall off a three-meter diving board backwards into your hands. I have to admit, Lord, I come across things all the time where my faith is tested, and I'd rather just kind of do what I always do. And yet your voice continues to speak to me, to all of us, that you're calling us to more, a better and lasting possession. Lord, help us not to get caught up in the possessions of this life or the reputations of this life or anything, Lord. But help us to live a faithful life. As we trust you for our salvation, as we trust you, Lord, in our death, help us to trust you in all those moments in between where you call us to a higher life. You call us to meaningful, sacrificial risky life of obedience and trust. Now, Lord, do a new work in us, in this place, in these families, in my family. Lord, do a fresh work. Restore the joy of our salvation, O God. Let us rise up with great confidence and do just 
unthinkable things for the sake of the kingdom. Speak your word, God. We're listening, and we desire to obey. Now let your blessing and your grace and your joy be upon your people. In the name of Jesus, our risen King, victorious in all things, the giver of the Holy Spirit, and the lover of our souls. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. Have a great day.